All right. If you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and pull them out. Matthew chapter 1. Uh, if you don't have a Bible and you'd love a free one, just raise your hand and uh, we will gladly run one to you. That'd be our gift to you. We just ask that you read it every once in a while. And so um, we are about two and a half weeks away uh, from Christmas morning. And I'll be honest, you know, as an adult, Christmas morning uh, is a little bit different than it was when when I was a kid. Uh, but but I think each year around this time, I, I feel a, a similar pressing and, and really I bring to us a similar warning or consideration uh, about the pace of our lives during this season. Uh, in fact, for many of us, we are knee-deep in gift buying or gift wrapping. We're making promises that next year will be different, right? Uh, we're not going to go all out anymore, which you said last year, but you're still going all out, you know. Uh, you're checking tra- tracking numbers. You're trying to figure out how fast can I get to an in-store pickup before people realize that I'm gone, right? Um, that that your schedules, our schedules are full with company parties and friend get-togethers and, and family obligations. And in a few days, we will think to ourselves, man, I will be glad when the holiday season is over. Has anybody said that already? No? Okay. You have. done. Ryan's done. Uh, we'll be glad. And usually for me, that's about, I don't know, about two hours into the kids' Christmas break. Uh, and I'm like, well... All right, we can't drop them off at school anymore, so what are we going to do? Um, but, but, but I think the danger of our pace isn't in getting all of our shopping done or, or making sure that we make it to every uh, place that we're, every get-together we, we want to go to. I think the danger is that, that we can make it to December 26th and we have thought very little of Jesus. Uh, that, that we would get to this part of our lives that we say, oh yeah, Christmas happened, what's next? Uh, without giving Christ a proper consideration. And uh, in fact, uh, we hope here at Merge to, to encourage you to guard your heart against this, that we would press into your family during uh, this Advent season to make the story of Jesus very significant because he is very significant. And, and so, so during our time together this week and next week, I thought what we would do uh, is, is we would take uh, some Christmas carols. We would take uh, songs that we typically dust off around this time of year uh, and, and think about its significance and its importance as we look uh, to Jesus. And so that's kind of my, my prayer for us is that during this time, uh, we would have a laser-locked focus on, on who Jesus is, on what He has done, and why His arrival means so much. And so if you've, if you've spent time in the church, maybe you grew up in the church, and, and you say, well, okay, I've heard this before. Uh, I know the story of Jesus. I know that He was born in a manger. And I know what, what I pray is that you would avoid saying, I've been here before. Uh, but that you would ask the Holy Spirit of God, to speak to you uh, in such a way over these weeks that the arrival of Jesus is, is new and fresh to you so that worship erupts in your heart, uh, so that we can understand what is most important uh, during this season. And so we're going to do that this morning. We're going to talk about uh, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. So let's stop, let's pray, and then we'll dive into Matthew 1. Father, we come to you. And we are... 
so very thankful for your movement in our lives. We're, we are so very thankful for the fact that you have sent your Son to rescue and to redeem us. That, that we would find our great prize and our great gift in Him. And so what we pray this morning is that you would allow us to walk into a scene that changes all of our stories. That we would understand better the, the meaning of this season and, and that you would guard our hearts from trying to make it something that it's not intended to be. Father, we love you. We thank you. And we wait for you to speak to our hearts in great, with great expectation. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. I was, I was joking a couple weeks ago with Misty because... Uh, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. The song we just sang is uh, one of her favorites. Uh, and over the years, it has not been one of mine. Uh, not at all. Like, just, like, I think Little Drummer Boy may be the worst of them all. Okay? Uh, but, but for years, Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel was, was right next to that one. Uh, and really, because it doesn't sound joyful. Right? It doesn't sound uh, like a song that we would celebrate in Christmas. It doesn't, it doesn't bring the celebration of, of joy to the world where you're like, you know, you kick down a door and you're like, joy to, you know, and you're really excited about that. Or, or hark the herald angels sing, you know, glory, glory to the new working. Like, like you can't sing some of those words without a smile on your face. And it's easy in those moments for worship to kind of follow the celebration of, of that and but O come O come Emmanuel in ransom captive Israel it does not provoke just the same joyful sounds right I mean can we be honest enough this morning to agree on that point right it does not carry uh, the same joyful sound but but still carries this enormous message when we allow our hearts around the words of the verses. The, the song is simply a translation uh, from a, uh, a Latin hymn that kind of doubles as uh, a prayer for, for both the first coming and the second coming of Christ. That, that it takes us to the mind of old Israel as, as they were longing for, for redemption, for for rescue, that's the, that's the first line. Oh, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. Release us from bondage. And, and, it, and it goes beyond that longing by voicing a yearning of, of the church of Christ that He would come again and He would complete the history of redemption. So we get to dust off this song during this time of year, but, but really what we do is we get to join with those in Genesis, in Exodus, and we get to sing along as we consider uh, their life. I think it's, it's the song of, of great longing and yearning and expectation that no matter how great or trying the current season of life is, that there's a day coming that will pale in comparison. That some of our favorite memories we've ever experienced were, was, is around this season, right? It's when we get, to, we get to be kinder to one another, right? If for any other reason than, hey, it's Christmas. Don't be a jerk, right? That we, we get to sit in, in, in parties and we get to watch kids 
open presence and we get to, to acknowledge that they're being kind just for a second, you know, and you say life can't get any better than this. And, and what we find in this song are, are two poles, really. It's this, this, this yearning and this longing that, that no matter how great life is, that when Christ returns, it'll be even greater than that. Or no matter how challenging and daunting the season of life may be, there is one who can rescue. And we cry out because we realize or we acknowledge just in a moment that we can't do it on our own. And, and I think uh, the, the, the Christian life kind of oscillates between these two poles, right? The, the overflowing joy of those who are redeemed and then, and then this tearful yearning of, of the not yet redeemed or, or the longing for this complete redemption of the children of God. And, and really, the truth is, we don't really leave either one of these on this side of eternity. Uh, Paul will say in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 10, he says that, that we are sorrowful, but we are yet always rejoicing. And, and so... So it's good, I think, to have Christian carols that, that capture both dimensions of life, though it might sound strange if you went today into your neighborhood and just started singing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Uh, as, and people were like, oh, thanks for showing up unannounced at my doorstep and singing this really depressingly sounding song. Um, but, but the truth is, I mean, and I don't have to say this because we know this, that holidays are hard uh, for many people. Mainly because we're reminded of, of those who aren't sitting at the table anymore, whether it be by death or disease or conflict or, disease, uh, uh, or distance. Uh, for some, fighting for joy becomes the goal of the season. And, and w- what I would say to that as an aside is that uh, the fight for joy should draw you into the Word. Uh, it should draw you into fighting to see the beauty of what Christ brings into this season that, that we, but I think this song as we center around it uh, is an invitation to put ourselves in these pre-Christian shoes of, of guys like Zechariah and Joshua and Moses and, 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 and Joseph. And, did I already say Joseph twice? No? Let's assume that I didn't. All right, so, 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 so we ponder. What we get to do, we get to ponder the promises. We get to strain to see this, this dawning of salvation. And we know that when it comes... The waiting still won't be over. Because as Christ comes, there's still more going on. One of my commentators put it this way. That when, when Emmanuel arrives, or, or when the day spring rises, we learn that redemption has only begun. That to be sure, it is magnificent. And, and once the blood is shed and the debt is paid, forgiveness is purchased, God's wrath is removed and adoption is secured and the down payment is in the bank and our future is sure and the joy is great. But the end is not yet. That death still snatches away and disease still makes us miserable and calamity still strikes and Satan still prowls and flesh still wars wars against the Spirit. Sin still indwells and as we still, uh, we, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons and the redemption of our bodies as Romans 8.23 says, we still wait for the, for the revealing of our Lord Jesus, the full and complete 
revealing that we, we, we wait for the final deliverance and the hope of righteousness, as Galatians 5.5 5 says. So, so our longing continues. And this is why my favorite line in, in the whole song is simply this. Rejoice. Rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. It is beautiful because there's so much power in those words. They serve as this reminder of proper action that, that in all seasons of life, we have a choice on how to respond. I, don't, I know we don't feel that all the time, but we always have a choice in how we respond. And the Bible will always draw you to this conclusion, rejoice. Rejoice. In fact, First uh, Thessalonians five sixteen and 18 just comes in, says rejoice always. Like such a profound thought that they give an entire verse to two words. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And we make a lot about this world about what's the will of God. And it's easy when we get to read it. That we would connect rejoicing, we would connect our prayer, we would connect uh, our thanksgiving all to what God is doing in our lives. And so, but we don't, we don't rejoice in rejoicing uh, this morning or, or in life's circumstances. Our rejoicing has a destination. That we get to rejoice when we are most satisfied in Emmanuel, in Christ Jesus. We rejoice in in Jesus as our Savior and our King and our High Priest and, and our Waymaker. Because in all seasons of life, the promises of God is that He will come to the rescue and the provision of His children. And, and so, so the song kind of hits both of these poles of our lives where, where because Jesus is worthy of praise and He is active in the celebration and the lamentation. When, uh, for, so for that, we're going to go to chapter 1 of Matthew. And we're going to learn three places that we find God in our lives. Especially during this season, uh, but not only in this season. Alright, so we go Matthew chapter 1, uh, and let's start in verse 18, because that's what I have in my notes. Alright? So it comes in and it says this, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a, a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, now when it says that, that Joseph is a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, you need to realize this wasn't, hey, Joe is a, a good guy and he didn't want to uh, cause a problem. He didn't want to take her to Maury to find out who the baby daddy was. He didn't want to do that. Um, but, but, but it's not just because he was cool. Uh, it, he has every right, according to Mosaic law, to make this a matter of the court. To exact punishment to the point of death for Mary. Okay? So, so it would have been within his rights to do that, but he doesn't. Instead, he considers just breaking the engagement off. It says this in verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not 
fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And it's easy in times like this to read your Bible and be like, oh yeah, cool, I gotcha, not a problem, right? But can we admit for this morning, just for a moment, that that's a little weird? Right? The angel comes like, hey, it's cool. It's cool. It's not another guy. It's just the Holy Spirit. It's, it's cool, Joe. And so, so now I, I think it takes a healthy kind of faith and, and really a certain type of circumstance to, to be able to walk in these shoes that we can, we can try to make Joseph out to be a great hero of faith, which I think there's a level to that, even though we don't hear much about Joseph after this scene. Right, um, but but I think we can also realize that God will do incredible things and in incredible circumstances through the lives of who seems to be what seems to be very ordinary people, very ordinary people, and I think that gives us hope of like, okay, if God can do that in Joseph, who was just some guy, then He can do incredible things around us and through us and in us, and and so, but Joseph's not the hero of this scene. In fact. Uh, we will only think of Mary and Joseph for a little bit longer because he will, they will always take back seat to their kids. Okay? Uh, and so some of you understand that position, but, but really your kids are not as great as their kids. Okay? Just to let you know. So, so Jesus, Joseph is not the hero of the scene. His, his son will be. Verse 21. So the angel says to Joseph, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now here's, here's what you need to know, and we're going to spend a little bit of time on this this morning. But when Jesus comes, I need you to understand that the angel says very specifically, here's what he's going to do. Okay? Because we go to Jesus for a lot of different reasons, and some of them are unbiblical. Right? We want him to do things or be things for us that he is not. So the angel comes in and he says this, For he will save his people from their sins. That is the chief movement of Jesus in our story. He comes to save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name, what's the word? Emmanuel. Which means God with us. So we sang this morning, O come, O come, Emmanuel. O come, God, come rescue me. Come ransom captive me. So, so we get to join in with this. I think in these verses, the pleas of O come, O come, Emmanuel begin to find their resting place. And there, there's three important truths I hope to share with you uh, this morning about God's care for us in these verses. And the first one is this, that God is with us. God is with us. They shall call His name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So the significance of the arrival of Jesus is, is a monumental occasion that, that God would dwell with us. So th- think about that, that God breaks through our incredibly small stories, our incredibly small significance. He breaks through and He meets us. And He doesn't do it reluctantly. He doesn't do it out of obligation. But He does this out of His great love for us, a love that makes no sense by any stretch of any worldly standards. 
In fact, it says, the Bible says that while we were hostile to God, uh, He displays His love for us in Jesus. While we were considered enemies to God, He loves us in Christ Jesus, that we have no standing in which to indict God, right? You can't walk in and say, hey, I'm a big deal, you should love me. You can't say, hey, it is unjust of you to do anything that doesn't result in my salvation. You can bring no charge to the court of God that isn't first defended by Christ and Christ alone. You can't do it. And so, so listen to how Paul describes the truth of God being with us in Philippians chapter 2. It says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but, but he emptied himself, by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in the human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then it says this, that because of Christ's willingness to do this, this is what the Father does in return. He says, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee, Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's, that's the eventual resting place of all of creation. Some will do it in worship and some will do it in acknowledgement. But all will bend knee and confess with their tongue that Jesus is Lord. Regardless of how much we try to manipulate who God is, try to, to, to uh, I guess, smooth out parts that we think are rough about Him, all of creation, the heavens, the earth, and under the earth, will look at Him and say, He is Lord. He is Lord. And I, I think twice this week, I found myself in, in conversations, and both of them about meditating on, on the Word of God. One was, was with James. James is a great guy to go to lunch with because he usually pays. Uh, and so if you need someone to take you to lunch, call James and he'll pay. Um, but we were talking about uh, really uh, Watson. What was his first name? Doubtful. Uh, Thomas, Thomas Watson. Uh, he's just doing that to sound smart. Um, but we were talking about Thomas Watson and, and Charles Spurgeon, and, and, and he was talking about this practice that people used to do where they would take everyday objects and just stare at, meditate on them, and asking, how does that represent Christ? Uh, and so, for instance, you would take a door and you would look at it and you would say, okay, what does this tell me about Jesus? And that should take us to places like he says, you know, I am the door. <laughs> Uh, and so, what's the significance behind that? That there is one way to be restored with God. And not, not that that's narrowing, that that's, that's incredibly liberating. That there's one way that God has made available for us to, to be made right with Him. That, that in Revelations, when it says that, you know, He stands and He knocks at the door. You know, that Jesus stands at the door of our hearts and He knocks. And He says, are you, gonna, are you willing to open your heart to me? Uh, and so... And so we, we talked about that, and I was like, man, you're so much smarter than me. And he said, yes, I know, I'm so much smarter than you. Um, but he paid, so I really couldn't argue with him. Uh, and, then, and then a little bit next day, Misty and I are talking, and she's been uh, listening to uh, this Tim Keller series over prayer. And, and they were talking about 
this practice of, of taking a verse and then starting a clock for 30 minutes. And in that 30 minutes, you just kind of write out uh, these, these truths that are coming out of this verse. And, and what, what Keller had pointed out, because this was like, it was a seminary class that he was in doing this, and, and what they pointed out was about 20 minutes in, that's when the real significant points started to surface because you slowed the pacing of your life down long enough to, I don't know, listen to God. And it takes about 20 minutes, he says, to, to stop talking to God and start listening to God. And these great profound truths would start bubbling through the surface. And, 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 and I bring all of that up to, to say, okay, verse 23 is huge. The significance behind it that, that I would encourage you this week as we, I don't know, prepare our hearts for the Advent season, that we would stop, slow down, change our pace, and we would consider the beauty of verse 23. That we would put that into to practice, that, that we would list out all the reasons we can think of, of why it's significant that God would be with us. That He would do that. And then, and then see if your heart doesn't draw closer to Him. I dare you. I dare you. That the truth is, this Christmas season is, is that God is with you. He is, he is with you uh, if your joy runs over, uh, as you sit with your people and that you deeply love and wonder if this moment can get any better. And He's with you if you're in the darkness that seems to surround you and you are unsure if there's any joy to be had. That God is with us. And His promise is His presence. His presence. Just being with Him. Number two. Okay, here's what I need you to know. Not only is God with you, number two, God was with you. God was with us. Because it says this, all of this took place to fulfill. All of this took place to fulfill. Those six words, I think, often are overlooked in these verses because they seem to take a back seat to this larger picture. But what you need to know, those six words are part of the larger picture. All of this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. By the prophet. Now, the prophet uh, that's being referenced here is a guy named Isaiah. Pretty significant dude, all right? Uh, but, but it says th- these words of Isaiah's that are now being fulfilled were spoken of not yesterday or the week before or the month before, but centuries before. And, and so, so Isaiah is bringing a promise to Israel uh, as they are not just held captive by the Assyrians at that time, uh, but even worse, they're held captive in their sin and they refuse to give their hearts to God. But even in this refusal, God does not abandon them. Much like He doesn't abandon you. In fact, during this season of Israel's story, God has continued to be present for them and He's leading them towards freedom, that, that He's been doing that from the garden. Like the moment He created man, He has been intimately involved in our lives. You can, you can go Genesis 3 and the fall of man, and, and immediately, I think it's like six verses uh, before uh, we get moving along, God says, hey, I'm sending a, a son. I'm sending a Messiah who's going to rescue you one day. He's going to bring to completion what your sin has just just destroyed in your life. And he's been doing this the whole time. And so, so the question is, how does that 
fit into something that we can wear this morning. And I think just as Matthew 1 is unfolding for Mary and Joseph and the unsuspecting, but the longing Israel that God has always been active and present in their rescue, and the same applies for your O come, O come, Emmanuel plea. However you finish it. They're, they finished the, the, the end of that prayer with ransom captive Israel. So no matter what that prayer is for you, what we find in the promise of God is that He was with you and He is with you in that moment. That He's been even with us in those moments where we claim He was very unaware. You ever told God that? You ever, in, in, a, in a moment of just honesty, say, hey, you missed me? You didn't see me? You didn't catch me? Because if you did, why would the circumstances end up the way that they did? And the problem with that is it goes against the truthfulness of God. Because He's made promises to us and, and His nature says, I see all and I care about all. And so for us to walk in and say, you saw all but me, takes a level of arrogance that I don't, I don't really know if you can follow through on it. And so, He has been with us, even in those moments. He's, he's with us even in these moments we claim He doesn't care. And He's with us in all those moments of our lives because He's telling a significant story through our lives that says something great about who He is. Not only is He with us, not only was He with us, but I guess if you're following along, it's pretty easy to guess this next one. Number three, God will be with us. He will be with us. That's, that's part of the beauty of, for He will save His people from their sins. Because we don't just have, we talked about this last week in our time in Hebrews, that, that you don't just get inoculated with Jesus and then move along with the rest of your life. No, when, when you ask Christ to be your Lord and Savior, He remains with you for the remainder of your days. He brings you to a completion. And so, so I think one of the greatest reliefs we can find in life is knowing that we are secure in Christ. That as we worship Him as Savior and Lord, we are promised His presence for the remainder of our days. And the fact that Jesus saves us from our sins, He defeats our greatest threat. That is your greatest threat in life. Being trapped in sin forever. And He defeats that. And the chief aim of, of Christ is to glorify God by being our Savior. And now that, that word saved can be very misunderstood. And I think even the longer you've spent time in church, the more we can make that word muddled uh, in our own lives. And, and so, so when I say being saved, I'm communicating two simple things. That number one, someone was in danger and unable to rescue himself from a terrible fate. Now I'm not talking about a person who fell down uh, and, and really could just kind of roll over and push themselves up or and instead saying, hey, give me a hand. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a person who is without hope, who is trapped, who desperately needs someone to rescue them. And then when I say saved, we're talking about number two, someone else rescuing, redeeming, and delivering that person from danger. That's what being saved means. I was without hope and without ability and yet He comes in and He rescues me. And I think this is a dire situation that no matter the effort, and, and sometimes 
understanding that means getting to the bottom of a pit and then looking and saying, yep, I've dug this and I'm in trouble. So this is, this is what we have in Jesus. This is what we have in His promise. Being in, in, and His promise to us, really, is to remain with us for every moment of our days as we worship Him. So, so here's, here's our thoughts. As we talk about Christmas, we have, we have God is with us. God was with us. God will continue to be with us. That's, that's incredibly great news. Incredibly. These are, these are some of the great truths that we get to celebrate the season. We get to rejoice because God has come to our rescue. We get to rejoice because we get to worship because God is near and attentive as a loving father is to his children. We get to think and we get to be moved to declaring God's goodness as people who get to live free from the sting of death. We get to, we get to sing with the saints this Christmas that, that Jesus has ransomed captive Israel. This is what I love about, we get to sing this song on the other side of the cross where, where the people who um, were originally coming out with those prayers, they didn't get to sing it. They didn't get to see that Christ has ransomed captive Israel, that, that Christ has freed us from Satan's tyranny, that Christ has dispersed the gloomy clouds of night, that, that Christ has opened our heavenly home. We get to celebrate those things this Christmas. And now, that's a fight. Because there's a billion other things that the world wants you to focus on this season. There's a thousand other circumstances that the world wants you looking at. There, there are a million different voices that the enemy wants you taking uh, note of. But we get to celebrate a season that Christ could have come in any way. And He came as a baby. And that moment, no matter how many Christmases you get to live, is significant every single time. Every time. My prayer is that we wouldn't lose sight of that in these coming weeks that we would care a great deal about uh, about how we think about our love for God, about how we display our love for God, about how we declare our love for God. Our desire this week is to love God. Bye. Please stand with me. As we wrap up, let me make a few things available. If you need prayer this morning, we, we want to pray with you. Uh, we, we want to walk with you in this season of, of both celebration and, and possibly some challenge. Uh, if you've never asked Jesus into your heart, we believe that there is no way to have a restored relationship with God except for through Him. And if that's you this morning, we want to walk with you. We want to celebrate with you. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for these people for these saints that You've rescued who get to celebrate who they are in Your Son. I thank You for the love that You're growing between us. Father, I thank You for the people here who don't know Your Son. 
who have questions and regrets. And I pray that you would open the eyes of their hearts to seeing your Son. You would open the ears of their hearts to hear about how He is our great rescue. And I pray that our hearts would grow closer to You as we get to rejoice. We get to rejoice in things that are significant, not just things that are passing. We get to rejoice because You have sent Your Son to rescue us. We thank You.